0: Would you grab that table for me on your way out? I carried it out the last service and I immediately regretted it. I was out of breath from there for the rest of the time. So (laughs) thank you. Hey, I love being here with you today. It's good to see you this morning. I want to start today. um, Oh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks, hon. Appreciate it. Um, I like to lean. So I need the table primarily for leaning purposes. Um, I want to start with a story about the first time I fell in love. I remember young love? It's so special. For me, um, this man was quite a bit older than me, uh, but he was cool. Like he was cooler than any kid I knew in my arena. He was in a band, right? Thank you. He he played guitar. His he could sing. He was tall dark, handsome, and mulleted. Yes, his name was Uncle Jesse. And he rode his motorcycle onto that screen and into my heart, and and the first time I heard him say those words, have mercy. Oh, I was never the same, never the same have mercy. This was his catchphrase, right? I didn't understand really what he was saying to Aunt Becky and the sultry meaning there, but but it became this catchphrase you heard all the time, that word mercy. We use it in our everyday language. Maybe if you hear a delicious piece of gossip about somebody's failures, you say, oh, Lord, have mercy. Right? Maybe you're um, trying to amp your team up before the big game, and so you shout, no mercy, right? We've, we've got this word that we use, but we don't really experience mercy as it's defined all that regularly. Mercy, by definition, is when someone who has the right to punish you or to harm you instead shows forgiveness or compassion. So I'm thinking about my daily life, and the best example for the, of that is, is when you see those blue and reds in your rear view, right? And maybe you were going a little too fast, and the officer comes to the window, and you say, I'm sorry, officer, I'm late for church. Give me a break. And you, you're let off with a warning. That's mercy, right? We, we, that's how we experience it in our day-to-day life. But really... None of those instances captures just how significant this idea is when it comes to our spiritual life. In fact, mercy is, is a foundation of who God is. It's all over his work. Time and time again, he is declared to be a God of mercy. And time and time again, he reveals himself to be a God of mercy and so this morning in this series that we are in where we are kind of considering contemplating who God is all of his characteristics all of the ways that he's revealed in Scripture and we're asking is God really that way we want us to consider God's mercy you know it's so important for us to do this because as um, Tozer said, he's a pretty famous pastor, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us is how we perceive God. And so we need to make sure we're doing that rightly. And today, I want us to consider a bit more deeply God's mercy Now, we're asking this question, is God dot, dot, dot. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask for some participation. Is God merciful? Good job. Way to go. We could go home, right? We figured it out. (laughs) I want us to go a little deeper this morning, not just is God merciful, but the question I want us to ask is how should we respond to a God who is merciful? If we agree that all throughout Scripture, what's said here is true, that God does show mercy, that's great. But so what? How should we respond to that? And I think there's no better way to to go about answering this question than to look at those who have gone before us. So we can see the characters in the Bible, and as they encountered God, as they interacted with his mercy, let's see how did they respond and let's start with Moses. You good with that? Moses. Moses, imagine a lot of us are familiar with who Moses was, but just in case you're not, Moses is the God-appointed leader of Israel. He has, to this point, we're going we're to visit him in Exodus chapter 34 in just a second. And just a little bit of context for where we're at, Moses has experienced some things. Okay? Okay. You've heard of the burning bush? That's crazy. Okay, he has heard God speak to him from a burning bush. He has, in the middle of the desert, seen God provide bread. He has seen water come out of a rock. He witnessed the plagues that God sent to Egypt in order to deliver his people. He has seen some things. And if you were to ask Moses, what are the attributes or characteristics of God that you've witnessed, he'd probably say power. A lot of might here, maybe some anger, some wrath when he saw those, how he treated those Egyptians. And so Moses understands who God is. And yet here in Exodus chapter 34, we have something like a divine reintroduction. It's like God is coming to Moses and he's like, let me just recalibrate some things for you in case you forgot. Let me me tell you exactly who I am. So let's look at this. Exodus chapter 34. This is starting in verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So imagine this. Moses is standing there. God has now reintroduced himself. He has started off with a God who is merciful, right? I want you to know this is, this is how Moses responds in that moment. The very next verse says that Moses fell to the ground in worship. He's awed by the character of God. He's completely amazed at what God has just declared about himself. If I can put it this way, he shows us this is how we ought to respond to God's mercy. We should behold it. Behold God's mercy. Okay, behold, it's a really churchy word, right? It just means to like witness or to see or even to observe something. But I chose behold here because there is a distinct difference between beholding and seeing. You don't behold a porta potty. You don't behold a street light, right? We don't we don't behold average things. We behold the Colosseum. We behold the ocean. We behold a newborn baby. You don't behold ordinary things. You behold extraordinary things. And listen, God's mercy is extraordinary. It's extraordinary, the mercy that our God has for us. And I want you to see that this morning. Let's let's just stop for a moment and, and consider whether or not it's significant that God starts in this introduction with mercy. He leads off with mercy. That's the first thing that he wants Moses to hear is that I am a God merciful and gracious. Don't you love that glimpse into the tender, the gentle, the loving heart of our God? But it's not where he ends, is it? It it does go on, and he continues, and he says he he will not clear the guilty. He will not look past sin. If, If we had to put a word to that, we would call that God's Holiness or God's justice. We don't like too much to talk about that part of God, do we? In fact, when we were doing this series and Dan was like, do you want to teach on something? You could do justice or you could do mercy. I was like, give justice to Brad. I don't want to do that. (laughs) But what I've come to find out is that this attribute of God cannot be divided from his mercy. When God describes himself as a God of mercy, he goes on and he includes his justice because he is showing Moses in this moment. And I think, too, yes, he's showing you and me this vital truth that without justice, there can be no mercy. Without justice, there can be no mercy. This is so important for us to understand, because we are, we are so prone to considering God as either a God of justice or a God of mercy, aren't we? We think either or, because that's so often how we are as humans. We either tend toward mercy or we tend towards justice. This is never more obvious than in the role of parenting. Maybe if you're not a parent yet, think back to your parents. There was probably one of them after you got in that car wreck or after you got that bad grade, you were probably like, I'm going to tell dad first and then bring mom in a little later, right? And even as a parent, I know this is kind of maybe true in our household, that there is the just parent and there is the merciful parent. There's the just parent who says, you didn't keep your room clean this week. You didn't do the chores that I asked you to do, and so we don't get ice cream on Ice Cream Friday. I'm sorry. And then there's the merciful parent, Dan, who um, (laughs) who says, you know what? It's fine that you didn't clean your room. I want ice cream, so we're going to get ice cream. (laughs) Right? There is. We are either merciful or we're just. But that is so not how Our God is. This description that he gives us in Exodus 34, it's so beautiful in its balance. It's putting on perfect display what what Brad talked about last week when he said, you know, we can't think of God in or terms. We have to think of him in and terms. He is just and he is merciful. And without that justice, there can be no mercy. If there was not a just standard of perfection that we had to meet, we would not need the mercy of our God. It's precisely because he is both just and merciful that his mercy is extraordinary. And this is exactly what Moses is experiencing. So I, I, we, we dropped into Exodus 34, but if you, if you rewound, rewound, who rewinds anything anymore, right? Skip back, we'll turn back two pages, you'll see Exodus chapter 32. This is um, kind of a, a well-known story. It's, it's, it's one of the lesser moments in the history of Israel. This is the moment when Moses is first called up to the mountain, and God is meeting with him and going to give him the law. And the Israelites are down in the valley, and they're getting antsy. Moses has been up there a while, and they don't know what's going on. And now they have been wandering in the desert for some time, and even though God delivered them from Egypt, they're starting to get a little skeptical. Is God actually going to come through for us? Is he really listening? Is he actually all that he said that he is? And so in this fear, In this questioning, they take matters into their own hands. They gather everybody's gold and they melt it down and they fashion an idol, a a golden calf to worship. Just in case God is not actually going to come through, we've got this God to worship. So then Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees what's happening. This is utter rebellion. The Israelites have completely turned their back on God and Moses is not happy. He takes those tablets that God has given him, Charlton Heston style, and he crashes them on the ground. Nobody fans of that movie? Okay, never mind. Um, He he destroys them. He realizes that God in his justice will punish this. They've rebelled against him, and he, he is angry that they've brought now God's justice upon them and he pleads with God, and God says, I will show justice on whom I will show justice, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, and he deals with the Israelites by sending a plague. So it's on the heels of this experience that Moses is hearing from God, because truly, in God's justice, he could have left it there. Israel, you have disappointed me too many times. You have turned your back on me, and it's time for me to find a new people. I'm sick of this. But he does it. He could have left it there, but instead, he invites Moses back up to the mountain one more time. And he says, like you did before, like like you cut those tablets, do it again. And he makes a way For Israel to be back in relationship with him. This very interaction that Moses is having with God when he's saying very clearly I am a God merciful and gracious Moses is living that experience. He's beholding the extraordinary mercy of God. A couple years ago, in 2019, I believe it was, there was a story that kind of captivated the country because it showed mercy. There was a woman who was on trial, and actually it was, it was past the trial. She had been convicted, found guilty of murdering um, a, a young man. And at this point in the process, the judicial process, you have a victim's impact hearing. And so the family of the victim was invited to come and to speak into the sentencing of this woman. And the man who was murdered, his brother came to court and he was given the opportunity to sit before the judge and to demand that this woman have a maximum punishment And he came and he sat there and he he looked at the woman sitting behind the defendant's table. This woman who had been convicted. And he said, I forgive you. And he asked the judge for leniency. Now he had the right under our just system, our justice system, to, to demand that she have A complete sentence, the maximum punishment under the law. And yet, he asked for mercy. Now, this was remarkable, but it's only remarkable because this woman had been convicted, condemned, and found guilty. You and I are the convicted and the condemned and the guilty. Justice would be for us to have to pay the punishment for our rebellion against God. Justice would be for us to have to pay for the sins that we've committed and yet we sit before a holy and a just God and he shows us extraordinary mercy. So. How do you behold God's mercy? I want you to think about that. How do you behold God's mercy? When you consider God's mercy, are, are, you, are you thinking of God in terms of, of only his judgment, that he is, he is a harsh God that is ready to condemn you at the drop of a hat? Or maybe you think more about God as that loving God who, yeah, I sin, but he's just going to love me through it, and it's fine. These are both errors in the way we think about God. If you think of him as as just an eager judge ready to punish you, you are missing out on the loving, tender, gentle heart of your compassionate Savior. But if you see him as as just this loving, flowery God who who doesn't really care when we sin, when we're far from him, he's fine. Listen, you're making God's mercy something nice, but not necessary. You're, you're making God's mercy kind of ordinary. We have to see God fully in both his justice and his mercy in order for us to behold it. You know, if, if God's mercy is true of him throughout history, then then we can find another another character in the Bible who's encountered it and, and gives us an example of how to respond. And the next place I want you to see is is King David. Okay, King David is okay, he's like one of like the, the, the Bible's greatest hits, you know? You know, the David and Goliath story, you familiar with that one? Little tiny shepherd boy kills the I said dragon last service and it just is the only word that came to my mind just now he slays the giant not the dragon that's a different book Um, okay so david is shepherd boy has this great experience defeating an army grows up he becomes king of israel and in fact at one moment he is described as a man after god's own heart however Throughout his rule as king, he takes a few bad turns. He uh, takes advantage of a woman. And then he has her husband killed in order to cover his tracks. So not great. And I wish I could say that he immediately felt remorse and he was broken, but it took him a really long time to get to the place where he finally realized that he had really messed up. But when he did, when he finally comes to that place of brokenness and realizing how far he had strayed from from what God wanted for him, he writes one of the most powerful psalms in all of Scripture. This is Psalm 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David shows us that the response to God's mercy is to to beg for God's mercy. Can you sense the emotion in the words that David says here? Have mercy on me, O God. He he understands that that he needs God's mercy. He's desperate for it. He realizes how great of a mistake he's made, that he has strayed from God, and now he knows there is no course forward but for the mercy of his God. He shows us, This posture, the proper posture to take, is to beg for God's mercy. Now, there's something interesting about what David says here. It's always seemed peculiar to me, and I wonder if you feel that too. He says, against you, you only, have I sinned. Does that seem strange? I think the woman that he abused would have an argument to make that he sinned against her. Certainly the man who is murdered could make an argument that yes, he also was sinned against. So what's David doing here? When he says against you, you only have I sinned. I think what's happening here is that David understands something so essential about God. It's that he is the final judge. So when he says against you, you only have I sinned, don't be mistaken. He is not diminishing the hurt that he has caused to Bathsheba and Uriah. He is not diminishing that. Instead, he is heightening anything that he would do that is an offense to a holy God. So yes, the sin that he's committed, the, the abuse and, and the, the killing, all of that is Terrible, But what he's saying is that nothing compares to simply turning against my God. And so, so what does that mean for you and me? That shows us that although have mercy on me in this instance is the cry of an abuser and a murderer, have mercy on me, O oh God, ought to be the cry of the gossip and the liar. That whatever sin it is that has crept into our lives, we need to beg for God's mercy. I have to admit to you that I'm not good at this. I am not good at, at begging for God's mercy, at, at even regularly asking for his forgiveness. And, and I don't mean that to say, I'm sinless, certainly not. I think when I think of God's mercy, I think of it as at a time when I turned from the world and started following Jesus. That was the moment that I needed God's mercy. But day to day, this little stuff that I let in my life, I don't find myself leaning toward remorse. Instead of remorse, I rebrand. Okay? Like, it's not venting, I'm, it's not gossip, I'm, I'm just venting. It's not impatience, my kids are crazy. <laughs> it's not greed, I'm American. It's not envy, it's Instagram. It's not pride, I'm right. It's not laziness. It's a Netflix binge. You see, these, these things that have, have crept into our lives, you know, we we're overrun. We are we're crippled by insecurity. We neglect our spiritual disciplines. We harbor discontentment in every area of our lives. We hate those who offend us. And the last thing we think to do is to cry, have mercy on me, oh God. And yet that's exactly what David shows us. In order for us to really behold the extraordinary mercy of our God, we have to understand that his mercy isn't just extraordinary, it's it's necessary. And there is no sin that will go unpunished. David saw that, David understood that, and that's why he fell on the mercy of God, and we must do the same. So, God's mercy is extraordinary. We should behold it. God's mercy is necessary. We must beg for it. Here's our last thought to consider God's mercy is available to us today. We need to embrace it. You know, there's a danger in us talking about God's mercy as something. I think we miss something profound. God's mercy is not just something, God's mercy is someone and mercy walked and talked, and he revealed to us the fullness of God's character. His name is Jesus. And and one day, Jesus, he was pushed into a really awkward situation. He He came upon a woman who had been caught in adultery. And the law of the Lord demanded that she be put to death. Justice would have been that she be put to death and and so the religious leaders are all around her and, and they're demanding justice and jesus steps in and shows god's extraordinary mercy there was another day where jesus came upon a woman at the well and she was a woman she had a reputation she had a reputation And this woman began to speak with Jesus, and it's the words that he said that caused her to drop her jars of water and to run into the city and to tell anyone who would listen, though I was a sinner and I deserve justice, I've received mercy. And then there was a day when it seemed like God's mercy would have an end. Because Jesus was unjustly put on trial. And he was condemned, convicted, and crucified. And he was there hanging on a cross as a part of this unholy trinity. There was one criminal on his left and one criminal on his right. And the world began to mock mercy. The one criminal, in fact, said to Jesus, what are you doing here? In essence, he said, you know, you've, you've spent this whole time having mercy on everybody else. Have mercy on yourself and climb down from here. But the other criminal looked at him and he said, what, what are you talking about? We are up here. We justly deserve this. But this man has done nothing wrong. He is not supposed to be up here and this man having understood the extraordinary mercy looks at jesus and he begs for his mercy he says remember me and jesus responds and says today you will be with me in paradise Now, all of the judgment of the world fell on Jesus that day. God's justice fell on Jesus that day. And they took him down from that cross and they they laid him in, in a tomb as he awaited his final burial. But that final burial would never come. Because you know, on the first day of the week, And one of the authors in the gospel says, at the break of dawn, or very early in the morning, how many of you heard that God's mercies are new every morning? Very early in the morning, mercy was not dead. Mercy was restored. Mercy was renewed. Mercy was resurrected. And that means that because of God's mercy, proven in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that mercy is available to you and me today. And so, how do we respond to God's mercy? Embrace it. Embrace it. It's available to you because of Jesus. So for you who, maybe it's your first time in church, maybe it's your first time in church in a long time, maybe you're listening online and and you're just kind of considering Jesus for the first time. Listen, as you're acknowledging that God is a God of justice, you get that you're out of line and you might be in trouble. And listen, without Jesus, we are in trouble. But because of Jesus, if you would today... Acknowledge your need for God's mercy. It's available to you today. And I know there's, there's so many of us who have turned to Jesus a long time ago, and we've walked this steady road with Him. And so how is it that we are supposed to embrace God's mercy today? How do we respond? You know, I think that when we have those moments where we turn away from the Lord or we we make mistakes, we're so apt to to white-knuckle it and to say, I'm never going to mess up again. I can do this. Instead of embracing his mercy. So listen, if you are far from God because you've rejected him, Jesus is mercy If you persist in life without even considering the gospel, Jesus is mercy. If you continue to do the things that you know you shouldn't and and don't do the things that you know you should, Jesus is mercy. When you become caught up in the cares of this world, Jesus is mercy. When you grow weary in doing good, Jesus is mercy. In each of these moments, when you find yourself missing the mark, don't try and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and muscle through. Fall on the mercy of God that is available to you in the work of Jesus Christ alone. Embrace his mercy. God's mercy is extraordinary. His mercy is necessary. And God, we thank you that your mercy is available to us today in Jesus Christ. May we not take that truth for granted. In his name, amen.